Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reismandel. Hi, I'm Jennifer Waits. Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here. And today we're going to dig into the latest stats on radio listening and online radio listening and podcast listening and kind of dissect the state of, of audio and radio here at the uh, in April of 2022 here uh, in, the, in well into the uh, third decade of the 21st century. Um, and Jennifer, you'll also be sharing some uh, reflections, some experiences you had at a, uh, at a at a radio focused art and performance piece, and then yes. uh, and and then we'll also preview uh, some uh, at least a nationwide radio event happening on College Radio very soon. So this is some fun stuff we have to talk about today. Um, but going back to those radio stats, that's fun too. Oh, yeah, definitely it's fun. <laughs> Always fun to d- dive into this. Uh, every every March, Edison Research, uh, which does a lot of research into uh, audio and media use in particular, releases their Infinite Dial Report, which reports on uh, their survey of, of Americans. So it's a naturally representative survey of people in the United States 12 years and older. And, and what they listen to and how they listen to it. I want to guess out loud that Infinite Dial was something that they came up with to sort of expand the definition of, of, of you know, media consumption to, to everything under the sun. And yeah, of right. To... So it's not just the radio dial. It's the Infinite yeah. Dial. No, you're, I think you're absolutely correct. The television dial if you were a child in the 70s. No, I think, I think that's right. Well, and it's interesting to think it's like so much more expanded. I don't even know if Edison captures, you know, because certainly on Radio Survivor, we talk about all these spaces where there are radio-like things happening that you wouldn't have necessarily thought of as radio in the past. And, you know, that might not not even be captured by what, the Like, what are you talking dial. about? What are you thinking about? Oh, like TikTok and... Um, well, they do, yes. In fact, the Infinite Dial Report does have social media. They don't necessarily classify it as radio, obviously, because it isn't. You have to sort of do some, you know, massaging of the definitions. But they do track social media, and I do have the report in front of me. So if that's right. something we like, want to get to, like, we can, we can is, get to. This is the part where I jump in and just let everyone know that the teenager in my house puts on a YouTube stream or a Twitch stream in the morning while getting ready to go to school in the exact same way that somebody from generation X or the baby boomers would have put on the radio. It's, you know, he's the, 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 this, this, this particular 16 year old is making his lunch and getting ready for school with a, with, with the headphones on and, and the feed is largely audio for him. It's a, it's an audio medium when he's listening to a YouTuber talk well so, so, so I, I can tell you according to the infinite dial that uh right now 36 percent of the u.s population is using tiktok in particular now they're not asking are you using it like radio are you listening to it um or or you know but it we do know that right um and certainly when we get into sort of age groups so if we narrow down to the 12 to 34 age range, uh, it's 
Well, as someone who's dipped a toe into TikTok and then left, I will say that you, there are kind of there's actually like two TikToks apparently. Again, complete ignoramus here, but you can either flip through it like flipping channels again, Gen yeah. X metaphor, flipping channels, flipping channels, watching one minute, two minute long blips of content for for fun, or you can tune into the streams, live streams of uh tiktokers uh, content creators that you like the best so that might be more like radio to listen to somebody talk to you for a for a mm -hmm. um indeterminate amount of time uh there are streams now on, well i think on a lot of people platform. historically use television like radio i mean if we think about a lot of say daytime content which is these days very much dominated by talk shows right um much of it whether it's like something like the drew barrymore show or the view or something like that is a lot of content that because it's talk, you can you can have on in the background, and so you might have the television on while you go about your 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 day, paying attention to it visually, maybe when there's something interesting or when you're you're in the same room. But you might also be doing something second screen, as they say, on a computer on a on a on your uh, smartphone, and really only consuming the audio. Yeah, I mean, and that applies to all kinds of. Um daytime tv including soap operas which audio is are they still around i feel like they've really uh they dwindled are, yeah. in number they still exist but you know audio is is the most important thing on the soap opera because you know they were designed for distracted listening while you're doing other stuff around the house um well and they're reading and, off teleprompters right because they have to shoot so much in a week uh, that you know so much of it is that there's limited blocking there's limited time that they can spend on the visual aspects as well, I think, right? So it really is very dialogue heavy because that yeah. can be so much more easily delivered compared to the the uh, the more uh, physical uh, elements that, that take much more time to design in. And Jennifer- And of course they, uh, oh, sorry, Eric. And of course, you know, soap operas began in radio too. So it right. has that, you know, historic um, aspect to it. Yeah, I, that was I want to point out or, well, share a little anecdote that when I was teaching popular culture, I, I forced the class um, to watch a soap opera in class one time with full attention. And it was the most painful exercise for everyone be because of that reason that there's so much repetition and it's so focused on on really the audio that um, it it was kind of intense and insane to watch with full attention and and to be staring at the screen because yeah. that's not really how you're supposed to watch a soap opera. Because Paul, you mentioned second screens as a as a as a distraction from your soap opera television content, but I would add that doing chores, doing housework, would might be one of the original. Well, that's the original. Yeah, I was just trying and, to update and it. And I'm for the still, you know, as someone who doesn't do enough of the housework, and uh, there's still there's many there's other kinds of work you can do. You can still do uh, lots with the audio content. Um, well, and anyway. lots of people report that they listen to podcasts while they're working uh, their regular yeah, jobs. Also work or exercise or going for a walk or, yeah, working your regular job. Jennifer, I love that you brought up that soap operas, the television soap opera originates as a as a radio show. And it was I just wanted to throw in because when Paul talked about uh, morning talk content on television, you know, the Ellen's and the views of the world. Um, I recently watched a YouTube of Betty White's uh, short-lived television program, which aired sometime in the early 1950s. And it just struck me. I was so excited watching this long, luxuriously long clip of Betty White having this uh, talk show, morning talk show, because it one, it was not 
wildly different from its current incarnation. Like watching Betty White do TV 70 years ago looks a lot like uh, uh, Drew Barrymore doing television now. I mean, there's like uh, the, the flowers are more beautiful. The, the, the chairs are more luxurious, but there's, it's still someone sitting in front of the camera talking to you. And um, it also was very clearly like, oh, this was this is almost radio watching Betty White do it. And I think it's really fun. It's one of the things I love about Radio Survivors, just um, reminding us that even though even though we're so far into the future with with how our screens communicate to us, that the the antecedents of it all was how how radio broadcasters did the work um, now. <laughs> A hundred years ago, yeah, it all starts there. Absolutely, you're, yeah, you're so right. And most uh, most genres and formats on television came from radio, which you know the radio scholars always like to remind us, as they should. You know, you have to look back to radio to understand the backstory of a lot of this content. Yeah, we did a wonderful episode a year ago about cop shows and especially about lady detectives on the radio and how you could, you know, it's all. All these all these cop shows now uh, began their life as a genre on the radio. So I'm going to yep. bring us back to the uh, audio stats here. <laughs> <laughs> Else we're going to get about a half hour in before we get to the first part of the stats. But I'm going to close the loop on the Twitch because um, that, that makes me sound like a very old man when I say on the Twitch. <laughs> the kids on the Twitch. Um, the Infinite Dial does have uh, Twitch in their survey as well. They specifically say uh, folks who currently ever watch live stream video games on services such as Twitch, YouTube Live, Facebook Live, or Mixer. So they're they're specifically saying about the video game streams, although I do know on Twitch there are other streams at this point, even if it was uh, founded really for video game streaming. And currently uh, 17% of, of U.S. Uh, residents, 12 plus, have ever watched that. But then again, um, I looking to see if they, they've narrowed it down to the ages 12 to 34, and that jumps to 29%. And it does seem to be more popular with uh, people who identify as, as men compared to people who identify as women. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into audio here, and radio in particular. I think one of the, the headlines we've seen when we've looked at uh, the infinite dial in past years, and we continue to see the trend this year, is that uh, radio ownership is declining. 39% of people surveyed say they don't own an AM FM radio any longer, which is, a, I think, a remarkable number <laughs> that, that, that so many people now say they don't own a radio, definitely skewing towards younger people. Uh, who may not have even really been raised with radio, I think, in a lot of cases. We compare that to smart speakers, 35% of people own a smart speaker. So we're starting to see that nearly as many people own a smart speaker as don't own a radio. And a smart speaker being something like an Amazon Alexa or a Google Home. Uh, I guess Apple maybe still makes them. Uh, hey, Paul, yeah. when, they, when they ask about radio ownership, is that not in the car? I, I don't know that. I don't know uh, specifically how specific the question is. Um, you know, I think it, it, a lot of times it's up for somebody's specific uh, interpretation, but I don't have the actual question. So I do not know 
Um, so I'm going to yeah. assume it would include a car that, that folks would include it. And, and so certainly, you know, I could imagine that there are folks in the survey who don't own cars as well. I just want to jump in and say, like, we're, we're, we focused on talk so far and a lot of um, uh, narrative as far as what kind of media we care about. It is mind blowing to think of the implications that generations now are not getting their music from physical media and they're not getting their music from the radio and that we've, we're switching fast to to a culture that still loves music, but gets it all from digital devices and from Spotify or Apple music well, or, and, and from, from a network, right? Essentially over the internet that in many cases, yeah, the they're, they're, they're getting it through a data stream rather than anything that they own. <laughs> that yeah. that is essentially the, per permanent in, or semi-permanent for that matter. Yeah. A thing that they own or the radio, which is a culturally distinct and unique, like, and it's so important, right. To so many of us who grew up with radio, where we first heard the first song that we then right. maybe went and purchased or got a tape copy of our friends. Um, it's so uh, the implications of it not being um, as centralized are really exciting and really, uh, yeah, just a lot, a lot to think yeah, about. A lot to think about. And then 14% of people have a smart speaker and don't own a radio. So there's still some decent overlap. 21% of people own a radio and a smart speaker. And I think, you know, in many ways, they are complementary devices. Certainly uh, the major radio companies as well as NPR have have uh, uh, run a lot of spots uh, asking their listeners to use their smart speakers to say, you know, hey, Google, uh, play me NPR. Hey, Google, play me said radio station. And, and it is often used in, in a sort of a radio-like function that just happens to be uh, voice activated and interactive rather than uh, a dial. But that's certainly, uh, you know, and the trend of, of not owning a radio if we come, if we go back to 2020, that was 32%. So it's 39% this year, 32% two years ago. So it is definitely uh, an upward trend, or shall we say a downward trend for radio ownership. The interesting thing, if we look at online radio then, so we're, 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 we're talking about, um, you know, specifically sort of streaming, uh, is that uh, it's approaching terrestrial radio's reach. Uh, 73% of people listen to online audio every month, right? And 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 regular broadcast radio is in that eighty-ish percent range. I, I, it's not in this particular survey, so I don't have the number right in front of me. I wonder if I'm allowed to split this particular hair, but I'm thinking about. To me, online radio means that there's. This is online audio, online audio, which yeah, is, which is inclusive. Because because radio, because <laughs> yeah, when I think radio, I think. Uh, a particular stream of content that that is individual not i mean not oh gosh i now i'm scared that i'm going into this definition uh, and i'll never get out of it alive but when i radio is so different than uh listening to an album but online music it's the same it's really the same thing like an online playlist listening to an album listening to the radio listening to it's all there's no um there's no distinction anymore. It would appear online radio means listening to music. It's well, online audio. I, I'm making very clear that they use the word online audio, not online radio. It is inclusive of online radio. 
but it is not exclusively online radio. And I think that's is in, it, important to, to call that out. And is that um, inclusive of podcasts too? No. No. Okay. No, it is not inclusive of podcasts. Podcasts are their own category. Is it, do you know, Paul, like how, how the question was answered? Was it sort of like, um, no, I don't, know, at, I don't know the survey. survey. I've not seen the survey yeah. yet. So I do not know. Uh, all I can say is that the proviso that Edison research provides is online audio equals listening to AMFM radio stations online and, or listening to streamed audio content available only on the internet. Hmm. But the brands that they that they consider are Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, SoundCloud, NPR One, Odyssey, TuneIn Radio. Those are the biggest brands that that they list that people will say we listen to this. So they just gives gives you ah. a sense for where all that comes from. Got it. Cool. So uh, and we certainly see that online audio. Uh, you know, there is when you look at younger generations, they're really driving this consumption. Uh, 87% of people age 12 to 34 say they've listened to uh, online audio and 81% of persons 35 to 54. It's really the 55 plus that are sort of lagging, although there is an increase even in in that uh, age demographic. And so you'd mentioned cars, Jennifer, whether, you know, radio was considered uh, you know, the, whether people consider the radio in their car. And I, and I think mostly that's probably up to any individual to kind of think about. Right. Um, but in terms of in-car listening, that's where AMFM still rules. So, uh, 73% of people say they've listened to AMFM radio in the car. That's down just, uh, two points from last year, 75% in 2021. What was interesting, what went up was listening to your own digital music went up to 53% from 48. And I think that's interesting. I suspect, and this is just my own prognostication, that I'm starting to uh, perceive that there is, that some folks are starting to to uh, realize that maybe they want to own some music again. <laughs> and that there are reasons that they, that they want to own albums or songs. Because in some cases... Albums, artists will go in on and off of streaming services. I think maybe sometimes uh, they are uh, feeling like they're they're getting subscription fatigue, you know, in terms of just how many subscriptions they want to own and have to maintain, understanding that if they, even if it, it doesn't open up, uh, you know, uh, thousands or millions of albums, but if they spend the $8 to buy a, a digital album, ostensibly it's theirs forever, Right. And so at the very least, if it's an album they love, they can return to over time. And also, you know, there's still uh, very often when you buy vinyl, it still includes a download code for MP3s. And, and uh, for, the, uh, for the real outliers there who still have uh, CD drives connected to their computer, they can rip their CDs. <laughs> and CD sales are up. So, you know, I can imagine that perhaps there are folks who, who are doing that, who are buying CDs and ripping them so that they can uh, listen to them. I'm not going to make the case that it's nearly as many as there were in 2005 or 2002. Listening, listening to your own digital music uh, isn't a CD? That's not digital music? No, anymore. CDs has its own line. Okay. So uh, CDs hang on too. Hold on a second. I'll get you that, uh, that, particular, uh, that particular stat. Uh, do they have cassettes in there, Paul? They do not. 
Um, and that may not be because they don't ask, but just that there isn't enough sample to, to report on because they cut it off at some point. Um, the, this is always my marker of trendiness. I was in Urban Outfitters, uh, I guess, a few months ago, and they were selling brand new cassette tapes as well as, uh, you know, generic portable cassette players. So, oh, yeah, definitely hanging on with even the mainstream. Yeah, I mean, indie hipsters, <laughs> whatever, whatever there is that a that a someone in their mid 40s can say about indie music in 2022. As I understand it, there's a lot of tapes being released. People like to put out cassette tapes of their independently released uh, music. Well, right all now it's difficult to get out. vinyl pressed. Like the right. pre all the pressing plants are are backed up, I and saw, so independent saw, bands are having difficulty. Actually, I saw very recently. I saw a, a very short YouTube video of Mike White um, uh, taking taking to YouTube to demand that the major labels. Uh, open up their vinyl factories again. Who's uh, Mike, not White? Mike White? Uh, Mike White is a writer. I'm thinking of Jack, Jack White. White from the White Stripes. Yes. Yeah. Who's who's a, a label owner and a vinyl vinyl record, uh, uh, you know. Uh, he owns, yeah, he owns one or two pressing plants, in fact. Yeah. So he, he, he made a video standing in front of one of his pressing plants, uh, you know, begging slash demanding that the major labels start pressing their records again. So to... To sort of pressing um, their own, yeah, having their own plants is what you mean because of, uh, of the global bottleneck currently. Right. Yeah, most major labels shut down their own pressing plants over the last twenty years, and so if they're getting uh, records pressed, say the new Adele record, um, they're doing it with independent plants, which are the same plants that would serve independent artists. So and going to go out on a limb and labels. assume that what Jack White was worried about was that they're crowding out the marketplace is crowding out the small. Yeah, it is. Records. Yeah, and 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 it's much cheaper to get cassettes made as well. Like it's it, it's significantly cheaper for someone. And in addition to the fact that you know, you could just get a double deck and and dub them at home <laughs> for the for the truly DIY. Uh, it, whereas it's it's comparatively difficult to to make your own vinyl at home without a multi million dollar investment. Um. So just unless you have your own like lathe, lathe. But cutter. then you could only make them one at a time. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> time so, consuming. Time and expensive. And even in and expensive at the same time. Um, so uh you mentioned CD so I mentioned the C D players. Thirty five percent of people say they've listened to uh CDs in the car in the last month. Mm. So uh there there we are. Um and even so podcasts we mentioned, thirty two percent of people say they've listened to podcasts in the car. So that's that's creeping upwards while, say, uh, CD player and AM FM usage is creeping downwards. So CD in the car, 35, podcast, 32. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, starting to starting to rival. And you'll note, you know, that if you have, you know, if you have a, a, a car that has a CD player built in, and even though I own a 20, uh, 20 model car, it actually does have a CD player in it, in the, in the dashboard. Um, you know, so... The CD player for, for many people is built in and, and, and already ready to go, whereas podcasts still, for the most part, aren't kind of built in to your car dashboard, right? You have to do some extra work in order to get your, uh, your podcasts uh, uh, playing there. So if we turn to podcasts then, the big news, so I was actually in the room when uh, the Infinite Dial was presented. It's actually presented in a webinar every year. 
Um, but this year, uh, it was presented live at the Podcast Movement Evolutions Conference in Los Angeles. So I was in the room for the live presentation where Edison Research's uh, Tom Webster uh, presents the data. And uh, when we got to the monthly podcast listening stats, I could feel the air get sucked out of the room <laughs> because uh, monthly listening is down uh, for, uh, for 2022 compared to 2021. 38% of people 12 years and older say they've listened to a podcast in the last month compared to 41% last year. And that's, Paul, to put that in perspective, that's the first time it's ever... It's the first time there's ever been a decline. In the history of podcasting. Yeah, and, and since Edison Research has been has been tracking podcasts, yes. So it's not ever for podcasting, but uh, ever since Edison Research. And Edison Research has been covering it since the 2000s. They've, they, were, they were very one of the very first comp, uh, sort of... Uh, third-party metrics companies to take podcasting seriously, frankly. Um, and, I'm, and I'm assuming, Paul, that um, this is a huge sample size, so these numbers are... So this is national... This is, yeah, this is... This this statistically is, significant. Yeah, um, well, the different... I mean, yeah, so it is... Uh, I, I don't know what the margin of error is. There's always a margin of error with any sample, with any sample in any, any survey. Uh, but yes, this is uh, a nationally representative sample. So it is not just, you know, any old 2,000 people. It's 2,000 people who've been polled and weighted to match the demographics of the country per the and U.S. Census. When you say the stat again, is it that people are listening to less because they're listening to less minutes of podcasts? No, no, just 38% of people say they have listened to a podcast in the last month. That's the stat. So it has nothing to do with amount, minutes, or anything like that. Wow. So it wasn't less time. It was uh, fewer people, consumers. fewer wow. people. So, uh, you know, giving his commentary, uh, Tom Webster from Edison research hypothesized that what we're seeing is that we had an anomalous bump in 2021. Uh, the, the survey was done at the early part of the year, right? So the results come out in March and the survey was conducted like January, February of 2021. So at that time, if we recall, it was still the case, I think, that a very large percentage of folks who would go to school, so folks in that sort of 12 to 22 age bracket, were not necessarily attending in person. We're probably uh, still at home. We're probably not going to do you know, uh, extracurricular activities, sports, all sorts of things that one might do with their time. And that gave an influx, particularly of young people, listening to podcasts uh, who might not have really done so before. But now we go forward to the first quarter of 2022. And for the most part, in most places, kids, college students, they're back at school. They're back at their activities. They're doing the in-person things. And so he hypothesizes that the, that may be the age group that was sort of responsible for a lot of that surge. But now haven't necessarily found a place for podcasts to re-enter their lives back now that they're back into regular routines. And and I think social lives. Right, exactly. Social lives and, and everything. Um, you know, I, I find that persuasive to tell you the truth uh, because the same trend is true for Twitch <laughs> in particular, that there's a surge in 2021 
and it backed off a bit in 2022, almost to the same proportions. Um, also, because if we look at the at the age monthly podcast listing by age, right, we see that in uh, 2022, this year, 50% of people aged 12 to 34 say they've listened to a podcast in the last month. It was 56% last year. But if we look to the next age group older, 35 to 54, we actually see an increase this year, right? And this is a group that, you know, is less likely to have had their uh, routines disrupted in the same way, I think, as a younger person, especially a school-age person, whether that's, uh, say, middle, high school, or, or college. Um, and so I think that we can see the podcast actually got a little stickier, uh, with with folks in that 35 to 54 group where we have 43% have listened to a podcast in the last month compared to 39% uh, the previous year. And again, uh, Tom also, Tom Webster from, uh, from Medicine Research pointed out that the 2022 numbers are still higher than 2020 and that the 2020 survey happened before pandemic restrictions kicked in. Right, that that data was collected again, like January, February of 2020, which was before uh, in the United States, any any states or cities had 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 uh, put in place any sort of lockdown or other sorts of uh, social distancing uh, restrictions. Right, so in some ways, one might say that uh, you know the first quarter of 2022 is more like the first quarter of 2020 than it is like the first quarter of 2021. Nevertheless. Um, uh, some interesting stats showing us, you know, I think that we, the overall takeaway we can have, right, is overall, you know, online audio, digital audio is, is growing. More people are using, uh, you know, digital audio in all of its forms uh, every single year. And it can, you know, there can be minor ticks up and down and maybe the way it's, it's split up uh, varies uh, from year to year, but overall we're seeing that we're seeing that across the board from, you know, ages 12 all the way up to ages 55 and older. Um, you know, that, that basically, you know, it, the, the shift from, from radios in a lot of ways and, and CDs uh, is, is towards, uh, is towards digital. Even if, you know, we are starting, you know, we are seeing small trends, like there are more cassette sales, there are more CD sales. In, in 2021 than there were in 20, uh, in 2020, but the overall trend is still mostly towards internet connected online audio. I just want to add in and there's no, I got, I got no data, but I'm just so excited that so many people have uh, microphones and I, I, I just have a I feel know. that it's more people this year than last year own microphones that they can speak into and become well, you if you you could just walk into Target and they will have podcast microphone podcast microphones. They have USB microphones on an end cap, right? In in a sort of general merchandise discount store, right? It's not even a Best yeah. Buy, right? It's it's a store, you know. So obviously, there's a kind of I've even seen them. There's a a local Northwest discount store chain called Bymart. There's one around the corner from my house, and you walk in, and they had an end cap that had uh, that had uh, you know USB microphones, microphone arms, ring lights. <laughs> yeah, right. The kind of most people are, you know, most people are YouTubing for but you know whether you're YouTubing, podcasting, you want to use right. it for TikTok, etc. That more people are are, mm -hmm. are sort of 
creating uh, media content than ever before. I think that that's absolutely right. Yeah, and with tools that make it um, more more pleasurable to consume their their ideas yes. and, and for the for good and for ill and uh, in my mind today for good. I just I'm happy that people have more. I'm, I'm happy that microphones are so easy to get so that people can can do radio because that's what I call it when it's when it's when it's good stuff. It's radio when it's bad. It's uh, it's that other thing. And you are listening to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reismandel. You just heard from Eric Klein. And also joining us is Jennifer Waits. And we're looking at some stats for audio and radio here in the uh, second quarter of 2022. Um, I only ever started thinking about quarters when I started working in the uh, corporate world. Uh, back in, I used to worry about semesters <laughs> when I worked <laughs> in universities. And now I, 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 my, my world, my life is driven by the quarter and where we are in the quarter and how things are looking for this quarter. Well, and Paul, I mean, you mentioned that that the the air was sucked out of the room. There was an audible gasp. I'm gonna assume when yeah, when the podcast numbers showed going down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do people? It's is it is it is it is it too much to ask you? Do you think do you think that's uh, just a momentary? Yeah, I think I think exactly. I think it's exactly the, the cause is exactly what Tom from uh, Edison Research laid out. Right, is that that some younger people got into podcasts uh, when they had a lot more time on their hands, and and the habit didn't quite stick when they had less time on their hands. So I'm, I'm just thinking about as somebody who who spent his adult life uh, uh, looking at the media industry and wondering where is my job in this landscape. Oh, I think uh, digital audio, I think podcasting is pretty yeah. secure. I think that, that the we're, time period yeah. that was all austerity and uh, closures and, you know, massive job losses because this industry, this, you know, this company was bought by this other company and then shut down. Um, you know, one of the nice things about looking at podcasts from the outside is just that it's it's all been growth in the last 20 years. There's just more. I mean, I guess there have been companies that got bought and then shut down. But overall, it's there's more people doing the work and getting paid for it, yeah. which is nice uh, for for everybody, including the people that listen to the audio. Like there's there's more good audio out there because there are more jobs, and it would be a shame to to end up in a world like newspapers where there are less people producing the good stuff because there's just less uh, desks to sit yeah. at and get paid to do the work. Well, that's not, and that is not up to the medium itself, but that is, it is up to how uh, those with capital treat the medium, right? The, the, the story of consolidation in newspapers and radio is the story of the commoditization of these media um, and investors uh, seeing profit potential, not necessarily in the production of the media itself, but in the ownership of the assets, the, the newspaper itself, right? And so coming to the idea that you could cut costs, which therefore, at least in the short term, cut, uh, increases uh, revenues by reducing staff and, and things like that, right? And by nationalizing content. And, and that there are, you know, I will not say that it is a net, net negative necessarily, and sometimes by, uh, you know, making things uh, more syndicated, in, in some instances, but overall, right, led to a reduction in local newsrooms um, at a time that 
where the timing was sort of unfortunate because it was sort of at the same time as the rise of the internet, right? So the new competition specifically for ad dollars and specifically for classified ad dollars, um, you know, kind of drove it. Forces that, that one wouldn't have predicted necessarily uh, when the trend started in the, in the early 90s. We can't guarantee that won't happen to any medium, um, you know, such as the nature of things. Uh, right now, though, I think it is the case that we are still in growth for podcasting. Um, I think podcasting has benefited from growing more slowly rather than quickly, um, which is a, which because often a, a, a tremendous all the uh, out of the blue infusion of capital often creates uh, very short term thinking. And I think that there's been more long-term thinking because it's sort of been forced, you know, by not seeing, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40% growth uh, every year um, doesn't make you think you're going to have immediate instantaneous sort of uh, doubling of your money, right? It, it indicates that, that it takes some time, but that there is nevertheless some growth uh, to be had in podcasting. And then when we, you know, we're saying that uh, right now, you know, it is it is still under half the population that listens to podcasts every month. You know, I think I think it's it's not a hard argument to make that there's a whole lot more people yet to listen to podcasts who would like podcasts. You know, we don't know what that upper limit is. Uh, you know, what if if it would ever be as popular as AMFM radio once was? In part because podcasts are not are typically talk programming. Right, they don't encompass the entire uh, spectrum of audio programs, but we've also seen the revival of things like audio fiction and things that are like audio books and and other new forms that come that have been uh, sort of uh, birthed with podcasting. That uh, you know, I think it is the case that there are still lots of people yet to listen to a podcast who would enjoy a podcast, especially you know younger people who 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 will sort of grow into the medium. Um, and, and are not necessarily prejudiced by their experiences with radio or even maybe their parents' experiences with radio. But I'm going to turn to radio now because as well as of uh, with the first quarter, we have the latest radio station counts from the FCC. Uh, and, uh, you know, the big news is there's 15,390 radio stations now licensed and on the air in the United States. And that was an increase of one <laughs> from December 31st. <laughs> but, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, that's just one quarter's worth of change. But one thing I did as well is that, uh, Jennifer, every quarter, uh, you used to put this on Radio Survivor. You used to report these out on Radio Survivor. So I was able to look back at our own WebEx, our own archives, and compare the current numbers uh, in 2022 to 2012, a full that was 10 part years of ago. Paul, that was part of my radio is not dying, is not shrinking, because every quarter there were more radio stations than the quarter before. It was always represented in these numbers. And, you know, different sorts of radio stations might go up and down, but on balance, radio seemed to be growing. So it was nice to be following these statistics, I thought, every quarter. Absolutely. And so compared to 10 years ago, there are 370 more U.S. radio stations on the air. Um, where, where we see the growth is we see the growth in commercial FM stations, where we have 218 more than a decade ago. Non-commercial FM stations, we have 407 more, and that's, that's full power stations. 
And then we have 1,239 more low-power FM stations. And so one thing we have to keep in mind is that in 2013 was the last uh, licensing window, last opportunity for people to get new low-power FM stations. And it was also under new rules, which allowed uh, for the first time stations really to be put on the air in dense urban areas like San Francisco, Chicago, uh, Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles. Um, and so in 2012, there were 830 low-power FM stations on the air. So adding 1,239 means that there was basically, uh, there's now a full 150% more on the air. We have uh, 2,069 low-power FM stations on the air right now in the United States, which is just a little bit less than half the number of AM stations on the air now. AM stations is the only category that went down from 2012 to 2021, where we saw 254 fewer today in April of 2022 than in April of, of 2012. Otherwise, hey. every other class of station, we see more. And I'm guessing, I don't know, what do you think? Um, do you think some of those AM stations that went away ended up transitioning to commercial FM stations? Is that part of that? Probably not. No. Uh, so we do have the ability. So AM stations are allowed to get an FM translator, an FM sort of repeater station. But to qualify for that, they have to keep their AM station. Ah, okay. Right. So, so is it plausible that there are radio groups that acquired an FM station and turned off their AM? Sure. Uh, that wouldn't be reflected in these stats and it would be difficult to, you'd have, you know, it would take a lot of research to be able to, to put that together. But, you know, for the AM stations that have uh, put FM uh, translators on the air, they have to keep the AM station. The AM station is the, the source station. So it, it has to stay on the air if they want to have that booster or that uh, HD radio station presence. So, uh, like, I mean, AM stations have gone off the air because the AM dial is more noisy. Uh, we've talked about it in the past that the a that the FCC has had this AM revitalization project. One aspect of that was allowing AM stations to have these FM translators. How that revitalizes the AM band, I don't really understand because <laughs> it's not because they're not on the AM band. But I don't know. We don't it's a can of worms and we're not going to really dive into it, but I would just add that the, I mean, I was, I was talking to a group of people who are not radio people uh, just the other week. And when I brought up AM radio, they're like, AM radio, isn't that just a nightmare landscape of the worst kind of talk content that exists? And it was very difficult for me to disagree with them, but I was like, but it doesn't, but I was trying to give them the radio survivor pitch that like, that's, it's not because AM, the technology, deserves such horrible talk content. It's just the weird, uh, you know, blind alley the culture of AM radio found itself in for reasons that we're not going to get into. AM radio could have been uh, providing uh, the kids with content they wanted if, if we lived in that world. But uh, they certainly don't. There's nothing that, you know, a 16-year-old that I know would turn on their AM radio. If there's there's no reason for them to do so. Unless they're maybe like a very hardcore sports fan. Right. right. I mean, so there's actually yeah. more sports talk than there is conservative or talk at this conservative point. Or conservative Christian talk content yeah. consumer. Like what else, what else would they be there for? 
Ethnic yeah, programming. I, I certainly think about sports listening to the game on the AM radio. Well, and most of it isn't even the game anymore. It's yeah. mostly just talking about the game. <laughs> That's actually a very large of, component Paul, of it. I thought of you, Paul, though, because I was called into work and got in my car in the middle of the Super Bowl, which I don't care that much about. But uh, but I did listen to the Super Bowl. Uh, I noticed that they just did not broadcast the halftime show. No, they don't. They don't broadcast the halftime show. I was show. listening to AM radio in Portland, Oregon, in my car during the Super Bowl. And in fact... Uh, Googled how do I listen to the Super Bowl and look at look at Paul Reese Mandel's uh, contribution to internet world culture. Radio Survivor bubbles up to the yes, top. Yes, I post it every year, and I I tuned into the there is uh, one uh, station uh, cluster in Australia that sends a correspondent, and they do their own broadcast of the Super Bowl from. Uh, that is heard on Australian radio, but I could listen to it uh, online. I could listen to the internet radio feed. They broadcast the halftime show. They do. They do uh, broadcast the halftime show. In previous years, they've actually given a running commentary where they're like, they call it almost like the game. This year, they didn't call it like the game. This year, they just, um, they just let it play kind of uh, uh, just, just the audio feed. But yeah, no, I listened to it on Australian uh, radio uh, via the internet, which of course the interesting thing is in Australia, it's on Monday, a in, real celebration in the afternoon. <laughs> NX's contribution to the culture of hip hop, yeah, before before the internet came along, that's what that one was. Yeah, so radio still growing, except for AM radio is not growing. <laughs> AM radio is is receding. Um, and we, we will have to see how, how that develops uh, over time. But uh, lest you think radio is dying, it's growing a lot for a dying medium. Let's go to something a little more, uh, a little more artistic, Jennifer. <laughs> Speaking of AM radio. <laughs> oh, AM radio. Oh, of course. Yes, please. Um, yeah, I, I've been enjoying... Well, I've been enjoying getting out in the world again, you know, um, now that things are opening up and, and something that I saw recently, something that lured me out, had a radio angle to it. And it was an exhibit and performance piece called Pyrite Radio Dispatch, which obviously the title was very alluring to me. And it was at the Institute of Contemporary Art in San Francisco, which actually hasn't really opened as a museum. They're hosting some kind of pop-up events in advance of their full opening. Um, so one of the events they had was Peter Semensky, who is an artist, and and he presented his Pyrite Radio Dispatch, which was, so he makes, um, he's been interested in pyrite for a while, which is fool's gold. So it's very sparkly and pretty, this, uh, you know, kind of rock that has pyrite within it. It's like a, it's like a crystal, right? Yeah, like a crystal, and and so he started he started playing around with that and started building crystal radios using pyrite as the crystal or as the detector part of the radio, and and he's a visual artist. Um, he works in a variety. He's an all around artist, um, but the visual component is really important, and so he built these radios that are very whimsical. They almost look like creatures to me, um, very colorful. And they've got like a big hunk of this pyrite on the bottom of them. 
Um, and then he also built all these very, very creative antennas to go along with it. So he's got five of these funky looking crystal radios that he, that he handmade. Um, so it's like, kind of looks like it's made out of sort of the shape of a toilet paper tube, um, uh, painted with colorful designs. It has the, the fool's gold crystal on it. Um, and then in the space, so it's kind of a, you know, open gallery space, uh, there are wires overhead, almost like clotheslines. Um, and he's got kind of this elaborate antenna system hooked up to these five different radios. And some of the antennas are embedded in, in those space blankets, like you might see sort of at the end of a race, you know, it's that mylar um, metallic material. And he's got wire inside some of them to function like an antenna. And, and then some of them are draped over stands. So you walk into the gallery space and for some people, it's sort of a visual art exhibit. Like, wow, like what are all these funky, colorful things going on? Um, but then there's also sound coming out. So he, you know, crystal radio, it's like, you know, the old school DIY radios that you might have built in the very early days of radio. Sometimes called a foxhole radio because foxhole radio because in specifically World War One, uh, you know, soldiers could build them because they don't require power. They, they require no batteries. They're powered by the airwaves themselves. Yeah, um, and so normally you would listen to those with with a little earphone, um, you know, so it was private listening. But he has hooked up these paper these paper speakers. Um, to the radios and then embedded an amplifier inside and a battery. So you can actually walk up to the radios and hear them, hear them playing things. Um, and it's all connected to this kind of micro power pop-up radio station that he has at the event. So he's, so he's broadcasting in this very small area in the gallery space to these radios made using pyrite. Um, and then some of what he's broadcasting includes pirate radio recordings. So it's all very like meta for me anyway. It's like, oh, it's pirate radio. So recordings of, of, of actual pirate radio stations. <laughs> yeah. And then his station could be, some people might call it a pirate radio station, even though it was all in legal guidelines because it was in a very short distance. Um, but some of what, so every hour he played material from a different artist or a different radio station. Um, and our friend David Gorin, was featured for an hour recordings from his Brooklyn pirate radio map. And I was there during that hour. And, and I thought that was just so fascinating to be hearing some of those pirate radio recordings with, you know, it's a lot of um, immigrants from all over the world. And, and so you're hearing radio in all these different languages that, you know, probably not always the best audio quality and and so that it's that's been recorded and then it's playing out over these very low tech radios um so there's all kinds of you know interference multiple layers of interference and he had five different radios so as you walked around the room um some of them might be louder than others um and and so it was this really interesting thing almost like almost like turning a dial because you've got static kind of all around you and interference all around you. And sometimes things start to come in in a clear way. So I'd imagine it's almost like what it's like to be tuning your dial, right. finding a pirate 
Um, so very cool. I, I enjoyed it. I know there were people there who might have been more interested in the visual aspect or more interested in the audio aspect and, you know, being a nerd, <laughs> being a radio nerd like I am, I was just sort of embracing the whole thing. I thought it was thought it was really cool. Um, and I appreciate that a lot of artists are playing around with different ways of presenting sound. Yeah, that's so exciting, Jennifer, because, you know, in the idea that AM radio doesn't have to be like a nightmare landscape of terrible things, but can be a place where people that people it could be a technology that people can use to communicate and it always has been and i love that you saw an artist who's playing in that sandbox um i was i'm today i have to rush out and go help a middle school set up a sound system so that they can have um speeches of students broadcast to the classrooms and i'm gonna have to use the internet and it's gonna be complicated and i'm upset about it and i I even mentioned this to one of the teachers I'm helping. If I could just build a little AM radio station, this would be so much simpler. Every, you know, if, if we could just have the school have an AM radio station inside the school. And and her response was, well, that sounds like it would be very expensive and very complicated. And I was like, no, it's actually, it's so much easier than trying to use, you know, Google Meet and the internet and depending on the Wi-Fi in the building, which is coming, you're, you're sending the speeches out of the building to go out to the internet to come back into the building when an AM radio station would just be so much simpler. You could do that. I mean, and we've talked before about carrier current radio and, you yeah. know, that you can broadcast to a Carrier current's hard to do today, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get that equipment, um, to, to be honest. There's all this infrastructure in our lives built up around using the internet, which is wonderful. Right. It makes the internet so simple to use, but AM radio is easier to use. Well, that's just why drive-in theaters still use microtransmitters, yeah. right? And we talked about at the beginning of the pandemic lockdown that there were churches uh, yeah. holding drive-in church using low power, either AM or FM transmitters. That's how, that's how we did middle school graduation so many years ago. We used an AM transmitter, uh, might have been an FM actually, and uh, and all the cars in the parking lot were tuned into the to the stage's audio feed. It was wonderful because there's no delay. I mean, when you use yeah. the internet broadcast, it can introduce yeah. a delay of seconds. On top of the fact car, that every receiver will yeah. not be synced up. So what one person even next to you, if they're listening on the same to the same stream, but on a different smartphone or different right. device, they might be off by seconds compared to what you receive. That's it's very, very difficult to make things simultaneous on the internet. Jennifer, tell, uh, so you saw this art show, and yeah, for some people it was visually entertaining, and for other people it it communicated like the possibilities of of radio. Do you think, from what you could tell from how the artist organized the event, like what what were they trying to say about the possibilities of radio? Uh, I don't know, but. Um... But, you know, he seemed to really embrace this idea of collaboration, um, you know, by featuring all these different artists and radio stations. And at, at an upcoming event that's happening, it's happening the day after we're recording um, in Southern California. But he's actually inviting people to upload audio selections to be played at at the performance, which I thought was really cool that um, he seems to be embracing this idea of making it even more participatory. Um, 
So it's interesting that with every performance, he's doing something slightly different and trying to involve the local community. Um, And some of the things you can actually take a peek at what people have uploaded already. And some of the things include a balcony field recording and a worker protest. So, you know, very, very interesting, I think, um, how, how this is evolving. And, and I think, you know, he's also enjoyed playing around with just the physical aspect of the radios and, and the antennas. And if you look, if you look at his, um, at what he's done previously, it's quite the variety. He seems to like playing around with the possibilities of, you know, what are all the different ways I can make an antenna and how can I make it pretty and, you know, make it alluring as a visual art piece, as well as, you know, a piece of audio. That's really exciting. Yeah. I love the idea of, um, I, I just learned this year why crystals are useful and important and what you might do with them when you're, when you're using them in, in your electronics builds. And so the idea of using some, uh, some naturally occurring crystals instead of ones that were produced, uh, in a, in a, in a crystal factory, uh, is really neat. You know, it's, it's something that you would, uh, you'd have to be a little bit, uh, weird to try because it's not easy. And I'm sure it's, I'm sure it was a very exciting, uh, exciting time in the workshop trying to get those pyrite crystals, uh, to, to release their magic and become AM radio. Well, and, and they're so prominent in the radios. You think about, for those of us that have built a crystal radio, the crystal is often really tiny and you can barely see it. And these are just like in your face, you know, this is a crystal radio and, you know, it really emphasizes that. Well, you've been listening to Radio Survivor today. That was the voice of Jennifer Waits. Paul Reese Mandel is also a producer and host of the show. My name is Eric Klein. We're online at radiosurvivor.com where you can hear previous episodes as well as subscribing to our podcast. You can get that wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Our email address is radio. What's our email address, Paul? Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Yeah, where we'd love to hear from you. Everyone is welcome to send us in your show ideas, your feedback for today's episodes, uh, your questions about radio culture and radio history. It's been a pleasure. Um, We have been producing less episodes uh, in the year 2022 than ever before in our Radio Survivor uh, timeframe. But we've also been uh, really proud to share with you all the wonderful interviews uh, from from the past couple of years and that will continue and we look forward to to hearing we look forward to sharing again our voices with you uh in future future weeks we're, we're here every week if you're listening on the radio as well as always on the internet at radiosurvivor.com uh, thank you so much for listening have a wonderful time